You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Audio Podcast. If you would grab your Bibles, look with me to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we're at this morning. It's toward the end of the New Testament. You'll find the book of 1 Peter. You can also take the sermon notes there if you would like and follow along this morning. Today I get to talk with you about something I've been working at for 30 years. Being marriage. I, uh, my wife's not here in this service, so I can say whatever I want to say. <laughs> Someone asked me, they said, uh, Farrell, are you going to have Charlotte on the stage with you to talk about marriage today? I said, shoot, no, I'm not going to do that. What do I look, crazy? Like, she would, she would say things, because my, my wife is, if you don't know my wife well, um, she didn't mind telling you what she thinks. <laughs> Um, And so it gets a little dangerous, so I thought I would do this marriage sermon on my own this morning. But I've been in the process of working at marriage now for 30 years. When I was young in ministry and been married uh, three or four or five years, I tried to talk about marriage, and I thought I knew a lot about marriage when I was really very naive. After 30 years, I've gained some experience, so hopefully out of that experience I can talk with you about how to build hope and health in to the marriage relationship. So today, as we talk about marriage, I, I fully understand that not everyone here is married. In, the, in a gathering this large, not everyone's married, yet we're going to be talking about marriage. There would be those here this morning who are not married, but marriage is somewhere in your future. So hopefully, what I'm going to talk about today will help prepare you for that future Uh, Maybe you're here this morning and you're not married and you don't want to be married. Well, hopefully this is information that's going to help you help someone else. Um, And then if you're in the category of you're here and you're married, then this is what I know. You need all the help you can get. Go ahead. If you're married, nod your head. Because you know it's true. You know, it's been said that marriage is like twirling a baton, turning handsprings, or eating with a chopsticks. It looks easy until you try it. Well, you quickly discover in marriage is that if it's going to work, it requires work. If it's going to be good, it's going to require an investment work on your part. I heard someone say the other day that a deaf husband and a blind wife are always a happy couple. Think about that. It was Benjamin Franklin who gave this advice for happy marriage. He says, keep your eyes open before marriage and half shut afterwards. That's good advice. Wouldn't you agree? I came across a, <clears throat> a funny posting the other day about the tendency of marriage over time. And, and it's sad to say, but the tendency of marriage, if you've been married like for more than six months, the tendency is that you begin to take for granted um, the gift that God blessed you with. You begin to take your mate for granted. And, and this, this posting was, is kind of about that. It's, it's titled, The Seven Stages of the Married Code. It's, it's, it's the digression of a husband's reaction to his wife's code during the first seven years. <clears throat> Thank you. During the first seven years of their marriage. So let me just read through this. So kind of track with me from the first year to the seventh year. First year, husband to the wife. Sugar dumpling, I'm really worried about my baby girl. You've got a bad sniffle and there's no telling about these things with all the strep going around. I'm putting you in the hospital this afternoon for a general checkup and good rest. I know the food's lousy, but but I'll be bringing you meals from Ronzini's. I've already got it arranged with the floor superintendent. Second year. 
listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough, and I've called Doc Miller to rush over here. Now you go to bed like a good little girl. Third year, maybe you better lie down. Nothing like a little rest when you feel lousy. I'll bring you something to eat. Do we have any canned soup? Fourth year. Now look, dear, be sensible. After you fed the kids, got the dishes done, and the floor finished, you better lie down. (laughs) Fifth year, why don't you just take an aspirin? (laughs) Sixth year, I wish you would just gargle or something instead of sit around and barking like a seal all evening. (laughs) Seventh year, for Pete's sake, stop sneezing. Are you trying to get me pneumonia? Well, that happens, doesn't it? If we're not careful, again, over a period of time, we lose sight of the value and we begin to take for granted our husband or our wife. We begin to take for granted, as I said, this treasured gift, this this treasured possession that God has given us. Chuck Swindoll wrote these words. He says, marriage begins like a romantic moonlight sleigh ride, smoothly gliding over the glistening snow. It's living together after the honeymoon that turns out to be the rough backpacking across rocks and hot sand. If two people, for two people to live in domestic harmony, it takes a lot of give and take. It requires that, again, of an ongoing uh, investment. A wedding is one thing, but a marriage is is something totally different. Matter of fact, I've, I've come to define marriage as this. Marriage is the art of two incompatible people learning to live compatibly. Two incompatible people learning. In other words, we're growing in this. We're learning to live compatibly. You know, it's interesting that in the U.S. and in other Western cultures, people tend to marry because they're attracted to someone. In other words, there's... there's, physical attributes or there's humor or there's something about someone that attracts you to them and it's there then that relationship begins to grow that eventually then leads someone uh, to a point of marriage so we're attracted to someone but here's the challenge how many of you know that oftentimes as we're processing through life as we get older some of those things change have you noticed that Physical attributes, what? They change. Someone told me the other day, says, Pastor, you know, my, my husband's got furniture disease. I said, furniture disease, what's that? She says, his chest is done falling down into his drawers. <laughs> but th- things change, right? I mean, it is a reality. And we're attracted to individuals and then we marry. However, interesting, did you know that it's, it, it's not like that around the world? Did you know that over half of the marriages today are, are, are arranged marriages? I like the idea that I've been talking with my kids about it. They've not bought into it yet, but I really like the concept and that I get to pick who they marry. They're not for that. I'm for that. But it's interesting. And again, over half of the marriages around the world today are arranged, meaning the parents make the decision. So oftentimes it's a man and a woman who are getting married who really don't know each other. They were not attracted to each other. They were just told, hey, you're going to be husband and wife. As a result of that, The overriding question changes from whom should I marry to given this partner, what kind of marriage can we construct together? And I think that's the right attitude. What kind of marriage can we construct together? Because how many of you know being married is not always easy? Come on. Come on, get your hand. You know it's true. Being married is, is not always easy. So in the midst of 
two incompatible people learning to live compatibly. How can we grow? How can we change? What can we build this marriage into? And what I've discovered in my own marriage of 30 years and working with a lot of folks in the midst of marriage challenges is that the health and quality of any marriage relationship is directly related to what two individuals choose to invest in that relationship. And let me emphasize the two. One, listen, one person cannot make a marriage work. Are you with me? One person can't make a marriage work. It requires two individuals who are consistently investing in the marriage relationship. It's that that will, it's that that will determine what the marriage relationship becomes. If you invest well, you'll enjoy the benefits of that investment. If you don't invest well, then this is what I discover over a period of time. The marriage relationship deteriorates. It falls apart. Because you, you, you didn't invest well. Now, I don't, I don't do a lot of premarital counseling anymore because we have a class set up and, and uh, they do a really great job. But every once in a while, because of schedules, I end up doing some premarital counseling. And it's, it's interesting, some years ago I, in my office, I had two separate chairs and I would put a table in between the two chairs. Because when I'm doing premarital counseling, I want them to pay attention and, and you know, they're trying to sit in the same chair, um, and they're distracted and they're not like, I want, them to, I want them to catch what I'm saying because I think it's important about, about marriage. And now, if you haven't been in my office recently, they, they kind of redone my office. And now I have a couch in my office and it's a real challenge now to get them to pay attention because like this is really important. And there's two things that I say over and over again. And I have to say it over and over and again because most of the time they're, they're, not, they're, like, they're so caught up and what they don't know yet, and what they think it's going to be, that they're not listening to what I'm saying. So I say it numerous times, but there's two truths that I want them to catch. And again, I repeat it often. The first truth is this, is that they're going to have problems. Now, they don't think they're going to have problems, because they're naive, right? They just think, oh, we could never be more in love. And with love, we can, man, we can solve any problem with love, right? And, and so they're not, like, they don't get it. They don't understand reality. And the reality is, is they're going to have problems, And we have problems in marriage because we have two individuals who have two different personalities who are coming from two different environments and they have two different sets of value and we're telling them to go live together and be happy. You know, it's the scripture that says, and two will become one. That sounds so romantic, doesn't it? But here's the reality. For two individuals to become one, two individuals have to die to themselves that they might be one. And how many of you know that creates some friction? It creates some problems. The first thing I want, I want young couples who are going to be married, I want them to know, hey, you're going to have problems. So they're not caught off guard. The second thing that I want them to know is that, man, you got to invest in this marriage relationship. You got, you got to make the investment if you want the return. Every, pre-marital, every couple I work with in premarital counseling, I give them a book. The book's called The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Great book. If you haven't read the book, you need to read the book. But in the book, it's really simple. Gary Chapman talks about every individual has one, possibly two of the five love languages. Here they are. Physical touch, gifts, words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service. Thank you for helping me out. Five love languages. And Chapman's whole concept is it's really this simple the whole book is I, I can give you the summary in a few sentences 
The concept is, is this. If you feel the love tank, if you're speaking your mate's love language consistently and continually, their love tank's going to be full and they're going to be happy. And if they're happy, guess what? You have happy marriage. So what do you want to do? You, you want to invest in. Oh, the ongoing investment into the marriage relationship. You know, Chuck, Chuck Swindoll makes this statement. He says, marriage is a two-way street and both sides must be maintained. Both sides must be, ma- both sides must be invested in. And so that's what Peter is talking with us about here um, as we look to this marriage relationship. How can we have hope and help in the marriage relationship? I'm asked that question all the time. Pastor, do you think there's hope for our marriage? Hope for my marriage? Remember, this past week I was asked that question twice. Just, just this past week. Pastor, do you think there's hope? Listen, I believe there's always hope in Jesus Christ. I believe there's always hope if two individuals are willing to take what Peter's talking about here and put it to work. Not one, because again, one can't make marriage work. If two individuals are willing to take the three things, three directives that Peter gives here, I believe there can be hope and help for every marriage relationship. So let's, let's look at what Peter has to say here about, about marriage. Beginning with verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, wives in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and the reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Whether it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit." spirit which is of great worth in God's sight for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves they submitted themselves to their own husbands like Sarah who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord you you are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear verse 7 says husbands In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So here in Peter's writing, we find some great advice for building health into the marriage relationship. Now, it may seem strange that Peter's advice to wives is six times as long as that as to husbands, I know none of the men probably noticed that as I was reading the text. But there's six verses to the wife and one to the husband. And then there's this thing about submission that often is taken out of context uh, and used in an unhealthy way. But let me tell you why Peter would write six verses to the women and one for the men. It has to do with what was happening in the culture in this culture, in this time which, in which Peter was writing, if the husband got saved, if the husband came to know Christ as his Savior, he would naturally take his wife and family with him to church. But if the wife got saved and the husband's still a pagan, it's probably going to be some challenges. So, so Peter is addressing that to the wife about how she can be attractive, how she can be a witness for Christ in the midst of this marriage relationship. So it's not like wives need more work so they get six verses and men, we don't need much work, we only get one. Um, That's not what Peter's saying here. 
Actually, Peter gives us what I believe are three directives as to how we can have hope and health in our marriage. One of the things I've come to discover in marriage is marriage is not about doing 52 things right. Marriage is about getting three or four things right and consistently doing those over the long haul. Matter of fact, this is what I would, this is what I would guarantee you, and I can guarantee it because it's God's word. If you take these three directives and you consistently do them, live them out in your marriage relationship, your marriage relationship is going to be vibrant and healthy. Three directives. So, so, so what are the directives? I'm going to give them to you, and then we're going to talk about them. The first is this, submit and serve. Would you say that with me? Submit and serve. The second is this, evaluate and grow. Let's say that. Evaluate and grow. And the third is respect and honor. Okay, you drug a little on that one, so let's try it again. Respect and honor. So let's talk about the first one. The first directive that Peter gives us here is about submitting and serving. If we want to have healthy marriage, we need to submit and serve. There's a funny story of an elderly couple who were celebrating 50 years of marriage. They're having their, their golden anniversary party, and the husband was really moved by the occasion. And he wanted to express that of his, of his heart, his gratitude to his wife. However, there was a challenge. And then his wife, through the years, had lost her hearing. She was, she was really hard of hearing. And so they're giving a toast. And the husband says to his wife of 50 years, he says, My dear wife, after 50 years, I, I found you to be tried and true. And all the family was there. I mean, they're tearing up. They're emotionally moved by this man's statement to his wife but his wife couldn't hear she didn't understand what he said so she said what'd you say so he said a little louder he says after 50 years dear I found you to be tried and true and she says well I'm after 50 years I'm tired of you too (laughs) that's not the concept of submitting and serving now we have to be careful with this word submit because As I mentioned earlier, I have often heard this word taken out of context and used in an abusive way, where I hear a husband disrespectfully speak to a wife in such a way that you must submit to me. And I'm like, who would want to submit to that kind of leadership? So the word submit means to come under the leadership of, and I would I would challenge you today it's not just the wife submitting to the husband it's also the husband submitting to the wife because God's given you a partner if you're here today and you're married then God's blessed you with a partner a partner and matter of fact scripture says it like this a helpmate you have a helpmate so to submit is not to lord over it's not like I'm the ruler you know, and you must do what I say because you, you mean the, the Bible says that you have to submit to me. Again, that is the, you're totally missing what the scripture says. The scripture is about submitting and serving. It's, it's again, it's, it's coming under the leadership of, but it's learning to do this marriage dance together. For example, in our 30 years of marriage for Charlotte and I, um, there's been a number of times that I've wanted to do something and she said, no. I, I'm, my personality type is I like life a little bit more on the edge. I'm a little riskier when it comes specifically to investments in buying things. Um, you know, I just want to kind of launch out, let's go 
you know, let's go conquer something. And more than once, several times in our marriage relationship, my wife has said to me, no, I don't think that's a good idea. And not once have I said, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to go do it anyway. What is that? I'm submitting to the leadership of my wife because she's my partner. She's the partner that God's blessed me with. Well, but Pharaoh, you're the head of you're the head of your wife. I am, according to God's word. I'm the head of my wife, and as we have mutual submission, it's there that we're able to move together toward marriage health. So it's not just about wife must submit to the husband. Should the wife submit to them? Well, sure. But also, it's then the husband submitting to the wife. And in that, you have the marriage partnership. You know, it's interesting. When Paul talks about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, I think it's 522, Peter says, uh, excuse me, uh, Paul wrote these words. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. And then verse 25, he addresses the husband. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So men, hear this. The model for us is Jesus Christ. You're to love your wife as Christ loved the church. So how did Christ love the church? If you have forgotten, let me tell you how he loved the church. He submitted, him, he submitted himself to death on a cross that he might serve the church. Men, out of this deal, I think we have the greater responsibility to submit, to serve. I came across an article the other day that said the number one killer of marriage. Now, because I want my marriage to thrive, not to die, I thought, I'm going to read that article. I need to know what the number one killer of marriage is. And so I'm reading this article, and the author says the number one killer of marriage is pride. He says the number two killer of marriage is pride. The number three killer of marriage is pride. It becomes one of the greatest challenges. Why? Because when there's a presence of pride, we're not free to submit and serve. I'm often asked, Pastor, what do you think is the greatest quality in a marriage relationship? And I think oftentimes people expect me to say love. You know, you need love in a marriage relationship. And I would say that the number one quality, the most necessary quality in your marriage relationship is humility. Because with humility... You're free to serve. In humility, you're free to submit. Because see, pride says, I've got to make this all about me. But when there's a presence of humility, I'm able to say, here's a big one. Honey, will you forgive me? I was wrong. For some of you, you've not said that in a long time, and you need to say it often. Why? Because often you're wrong. But when there's a presence of pride, you can't say that. So then what? It always creates this this tension, this friction in the marriage relationship. So humility enables us, humility empowers us to submit and to serve. So how do we build health and hope into a marriage relationship? First, we submit and we serve. The, The second is this, we evaluate and we grow. We evaluate and we grow. In other words, there's process. You know, one of, one of the sad things in our culture today, and because I do this a lot, I see it a lot. One of the sad things in our culture today is couples spend months planning a wedding. 
and they spend thousands of dollars on a wedding and they have no plan for the marriage. Listen, the wedding is the event, the marriage is the journey. We are short-sighted in that we plan for the wedding. And I'm not against planning for the wedding. I think weddings should be beautiful and life-giving and worshipful. I think it should be all of that. But why would we spend weeks, months? I'm going to be doing a wedding in the spring, and I was trying to encourage this couple, like, why don't you go ahead and get married? Oh, we need nine months to plan this out. I'm thinking, Really? We can do it right here in the office. (laughs) I can take care of this. I'm not against against the wedding. But I find it interesting that we spend months planning for an event and thousands of dollars on an event and we're not willing to go spend the money that it takes to go to a weekend retreat to invest in our marriage. What does that say? Because marriage is an ongoing process, what it requires, evaluation and growth. Now, when I say evaluation, I'm not saying to you, evaluate your mate and tell her how she needs to grow. Let me tell you, give you some good advice, that won't work very well. (laughs) When we evaluate, we need to evaluate our own lives. You want a better marriage? Let me tell you, get a better marriage, start working on yourself. Oftentimes we look at our mate and we're evaluating how they need to change and how they need to grow rather than looking in our own lives. This is what Jesus said, I think think it's Matthew 7. Jesus says, why don't you look at the speck in your brother's eye and you neglect the two before in your own? Why don't you look at the speck in your mate's life and get all hung up and bent out of shape over that when you have a two before in your own eye and you're not even willing to address it. So where does evaluation begin? Evaluation begins with me. Again, want a better marriage? Who do you start on? You start on you. Listen, if you think about it, the only person that you can change is who? Yourself. That's the only person. So we evaluate and then we embrace a process of growth. How can I grow in my life? Because again, when you grow, the marriage grows. And and I might just highlight for you, we have a a number of groups that are focused on marriage right now. So if you would, hey, if you say, hey, I need some help, I need need to be in a group of folks who are learning some principles and kind of talking about that and working that through, I would encourage you to check out one of the marriage groups. It's a great place for you to grow in your marriage relationship. Because listen, folks, at the end of the day, don't ever forget this, at the end of the day, your marriage will be exactly what you make your marriage to be. Are you with me? Exactly. But it's an ongoing process, ongoing process of growth. Is there anyone in here this morning that's been married for 50 years or more? Would you just raise your hand, 50 years or more? Uh, Hubert and Mary. Uh, oh, we got Bobby and Linda. Who's that? Roy. Uh, anyone else? I see this group right here. All the 50 and more sitting all together this morning. That's interesting. <laughs> Maybe they know something we don't know. 
Oh, I see somebody else pointing a finger. I'm sorry, the lights make it really difficult. So we have someone back here, 50 years. Is that Wayne? (laughs) Millie's been with you for 50 years? Oh my goodness. I'm just kidding. So, uh, Hubert and Mary, I see you there. Let me ask you a question. You've been married for for more than 50 years. Are you still growing in the marriage relationship? Yes? Is it? Yeah, even after 50 years, they're still in a growth process. So, so here's my point. Until you die, until, until death would part you, there's an ongoing process necessary of evaluation and growth. Quickly, here's the third directive. We need to respect and honor first part of chapter 3, Peter talks to the wives about respecting. Here's, here's an illustration. Sarah respecting Abraham. Um, I've been working on this with my wife because the scripture says that, that Sarah called Abraham her master. Now, my wife hasn't called me that lately. <laughs> Actually, in 30 years, she's never called me master. <laughs> you really want to know the truth about it. So we're working on that. probably need another 20 years if you know my wife and work on that one. But here's this illustration of Sarah giving respect and honor to Abraham. And then if you check out verse 7, it says, husbands, respect your wives. Be considerate to them. When we give respect and honor, this is what we're doing. We're, We're communicating value. We're communicating that something's valuable to us. So what we, we, we treat it with, with respect, we give honor to. And as you begin to communicate value to your mate, it's amazing how, um, it's amazing how that begins to build health into their lives and then health into the marriage. But we treasure we give respect and honor, honor to. If, if someone were to give you a, a new Porsche or Camaro or whatever you would want. Let's say someone gives you a new car. How many of you know you wouldn't take that new Porsche off-roading? Would you? No. Man, you would wash that new car. You would wax that new car. You would guard that new car. You wouldn't let anyone else drive that new car. You would... Man, you would garage that new car. Why? It's, it's valuable. In the same way, to husbands, listen, your wife is valuable. She's a treasured possession to you. And likewise, wives, your husband is a gift from God to you. To give respect and honor that communicates value. So, so, so how do we give how do we give respect and honor? I, I think there's a, a few ways that, obviously a lot of ways this can work out, but three that just quickly came to my mind. When we give respect and honor to our mates, it means that we give them a place of priority. In other words, we don't give them the leftovers. You know, oftentimes, I know we, your, your life's probably like my life. I go to work. And sometimes the days are challenging and, and I'm drained 
and I'm coming home at the end of a day. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to give my wife the leftovers. You know, I, I don't mind having leftovers for a meal every once in a while. I don't want leftovers all the time. Nor, do, nor should we give our mates the leftover. Respect and honor means what do they have priority in our lives, priority in our schedule. To, to respect and honor our mates means that we cherish them as a precious gift from God, as a precious gift that we guard and, and value. I think to respect and honor our mates means that we speak words that bring life. You know, Proverbs 18.21 says that your words have the power of life and death. So let me ask you a question. What have you been giving your mate? See, when there's respect and honor, we speak words that are life-giving. You want to build a healthy, vibrant marriage? Again, I don't, think, I don't think it's like 52 things you have to do. Matter of fact, as I said as I began, I guarantee you, husband and wife, if you're here this morning, if you take these three directives and you truly begin to live them out, if you submit and serve, if you evaluate and grow, if you respect and honor, it will transform your home. It'll transform your marriage. Why? Because it's God's way. It's God's word and God's way as to how we can build healthy, vibrant marriage. I want to leave you this morning with this statement. The secret to a good marriage is, is really not so much about finding the right partner as it is being the right partner. And if we focus on being the right partner, it's amazing how it begins to transform not only our lives, but the marriage relationship. You know, oftentimes we're guilty of looking at the problem or problems in our mates' lives and and we want to fix them, we want to change them, we want to correct them, when, when really we need to be looking at our own li- in our own lives and asking, what do I need to change to make this marriage better? Because again, the wedding is the event, right? The marriage is the process, the journey of a lifetime. Hey, I believe that God wants us to enjoy marriage and enjoy life. You know, marriage was God's idea. You didn't come up with it. I didn't come up with it. God says it's not good that a man would be alone. And he created a helpmate for Adam. And, and there we have the first marriage relationship. And God's given us guidelines as to how it can be good. Because again, at the end of the day, folks, you can't get around this truth. At the end of the day, your marriage will be exactly what you make it. As a husband and wife, it'll be exactly what you make. If, it, if it's bad, can I tell you something? You made it bad. You don't want to hear that, but you did. If it's good, it'll be because you made it good. It'll be because of the investment that you made. So may we submit and serve. May we evaluate and grow. May we respect and honor the mates that God's given us. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning for the counsel of your word for the guidance of your word, for instruction of your word. Lord, I thank you for the gift of marriage. I know for me, God, outside of knowing you as Savior, 
Lord, being married to Charlotte's the best thing that ever happened to me. So, Lord, I thank you for the gift of my mate. I thank you for the gift of marriage, of having a partner to share life with. And, Lord, what I know is that no matter where individuals are at today, there's room for growth. So, Lord, I pray today for husbands and wives who are here. Or maybe someone's here and their mate's not here. Lord, I pray for husbands and wives, Lord, that they would, by your spirit, Lord, that they would train themselves, that they would learn and grow as it relates to submitting and serving. Lord, may we be, may we be willing to address the issue of pride, that we might walk in humility, that we might submit and serve husband to wife and wife to husband. Lord, may we be willing to evaluate not our mate's life, but our own life. To ask this question as a husband, where am I missing it? Or as the wife, where am I missing it? And Lord, may we embrace, embrace then that process of growth. And Lord, help us, Holy Spirit, help us to respect and honor to honor one another with our words, to honor one another in our conversation with our mate and our conversations about our mates. But may we speak words that give life. May we give respect. And Lord, as we give respect and honor, God, it communicates value. And where value is communicated, growth happens. So Holy Spirit, I pray for every married couple here in the sanctuary today. Lord, may they experience the fullness of all that you intended when you created the marriage relationship. And Lord, by your spirit again, help us not to look at our mate to say, this is what needs to be fixed in their lives. But Lord, help us to look at ourselves first. Hello, what I know is we grow, the marriage grows. So Holy Spirit, help us. Help us walk this out. And I know there would even be, Lord, marriages here today who, Lord, they're in a volatile place. But I pray today for a husband and wife that they would know there's hope. God, there's always hope in you. And there's hope as we take your principles and put them to work in our lives. Holy Spirit, help us to that ends, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.